0: good morning nancy is a horror movie podcast so it's not for all audiences this episode contains discussions on child death sickness infidelity and death by suicide so listener discretion is advised Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is Season 6, Episode 3, and we are so excited for you to join us. Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we
1: love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 2018 sci-fi thriller Annihilation. It was written and directed by Alex Garland and based on the novel of the same name by Jeff Vandermeer. The film stars Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Tessa Thompson, Gina Rodriguez,
0: and Tuva Novotny. We are not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this episode and watch it. Okay, are you still here? Great, then let's get this morning started. Okay, so much like how the film rights for Jaws were bought before the book was even released, in March 2013 it was announced that Paramount Pictures and Scott Rudin Productions had acquired the film rights to Annihilation, the first novel in Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, and the book wouldn't be released until February of 2014. By 2015, with the success of his first feature film, Ex Machina, under his belt, writer-director Alex Garland was hired to make the film. According to an interview with Creative Writing, Garland is quoted as saying, "'At the point I started working on Annihilation, there was only one of the three books. I knew that it was planned as a trilogy by the author, but there was only the manuscript for the first book.' I really didn't think too much about the trilogy side of it. So, apparently, Garland's film is an quote-unquote adaptation, which was a memory of the book. Rather than trying to directly adapt the book, Garland deliberately took the story in his own direction, with Vandermeer's permission, of course. Production on the film began in April of 2016, and shooting ended in July of that same year. The majority of the crew that worked on Ex Machina also worked on Annihilation, which is kind of nice. So, due to a poorly received test screening, David Ellison, who was like a financer and producer at Paramount, became concerned that the film was too intellectual and too complicated. What? (laughs) And he demanded changes to make it appeal to a wider audience, including making Natalie Portman's character more sympathetic and changing the ending. Producer Scott Rudin sided with the director, Alex Garland, who did not want to alter the film. Rudin, who had final cut privilege, defended the film and refused to take notes from David Ellison. Nice. According to Boris Kitt... On December 7th, 2017, it was announced that due to the clashes between Rudin and Ellison and the shift in Paramount's leadership, a deal was struck allowing Netflix to distribute the film internationally. According to this deal, Paramount would handle the American, Canadian, and Chinese release, while Netflix would begin streaming the film in other territories 17 days later. According to Karen Hahn in her article Annihilation and Hollywood's Erasure of Asians, prior to its release, the film drew criticism from the, for the casting of Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee as characters who are, in the later books, described as Asian and half Native American descent, respectively. Garland stated that none of the five female characters' ethnicity was mentioned in the first book, which was the only one in the trilogy that he had read, as we mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. and that the script was complete before the second book was even published. He cast the characters based on his reaction only to the actors he had met in the casting process or the actors he had already worked with. The film was released theatrically in the United States on February 23, 2018 by Paramount Pictures and digitally in other markets on March 12, 2018 by Netflix. Garland expressed his disappointment with the decision to coincide digital distribution with theatrical, saying, quote, we made the film for cinema, unquote. So Annihilation grossed thirty-two point seven million in the United States and Canada and ten point three million in China for a worldwide total of only forty three point one million against a budget of somewhere between forty and fifty-five million. Oh my god. So it was a flop. Yeah. And unfortunately it was branded one of the biggest box office bombs. <laughs> Audiences were split 50-50. However, critics, for the most part, loved the film. Wow. Yeah, Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film four out of four stars, praising it for taking risks and saying, quote, Kudos to Garland and the cast, but bravo to Scott Rudin as well. Apparently, you knew a masterpiece when you saw it, and you made sure we were able to see it as well. Finally, in a review of the film by Brian Tellerico, he says quote, Annihilation is not an easy film to discuss. It's a movie that will have a different meaning to different viewers who are willing to engage with it. Mm-hmm. It's about self-destruction. Evolution, biology, codependence, and that which scares us the most, that we can no longer trust our own bodies. It's meant to linger in your mind and haunt your dreams. In this recent wave of sci fi films, it's one of the best. Agreed. Yes, it's so good. Yeah. So, with that said, Abby, would you please remind us all of the plot? Sure. Cellular biologist
1: and former soldier Lena finds herself in the middle of a scientific phenomenon after her husband Kane, who was thought to have been killed in action on a secret mission, returns home sick and dying from a mysterious illness. Upon being rushed to the hospital, both Lena and Kane are taken into custody by government agents. While Cain fights for his life, a woman by the name of Dr. Ventress explains to Lena that they are in the middle of an investigation of a mysterious shimmer surrounding the fictional Blackwater National Park in Florida. The shimmer appears to be some kind of force field, and it has spread along the coast. Ventress explains that the perimeter seemed to be growing and killing off anyone who dared to explore it, and that this shimmer had appeared three years prior. It turned out to be the site of her husband's secret mission, and he is the only living person who had returned from the area after investigating what was contained within. After Lena learns more about the Shimmer, she's introduced to a team of women—physicist Josie, geomorphologist Cass, and paramedic Anya. they volunteered to go into the Shimmer, led by Ventress, to learn more about it, and their goal is to reach a lighthouse that is the supposed source of the infestation. Fearing that this is the only way to know the truth about what happened to Cain, Lena agrees to join them. The team prepares to enter the perimeter, and when they do, they are shocked to find living organisms that are made of human DNA, and the organism's cells mimic cancer cells, appearing like tumors among the buildings and trees that exist beneath the canopy of the Shimmer. The women have to fight off mutated predators, like alligators and bears, and as they do, they get to know each other a little bit better. We learn that Ventress is dying from cancer, Josie has had a past of self-harm, Cass's daughter passed away from leukemia, and Anya was a recovering addict. Lena tells them that their husband was killed in action, and she doesn't have anyone left, and it seems as though all of these women don't really have anything to lose, and that's what drew them to volunteer. They make their way to the military base where Kane's troop was staying, and they discover video footage of soldiers cutting open the stomach of one of the troops to reveal a long, worm-like structure writhing through his intestines. The women start to ponder what could have caused this, and upon further investigation, find the body of the man in the video in the base. The tumor-like structures seen throughout the Shimmer seem to have bored through his body and killed him, leaving his human shell and little else. As the women begin to unravel because of the actual disintegration of their own bodies, Anya is killed by the same creature that took Cass. Josie decides to leave her fate in the hands of the Shimmer, becoming one with the plant life that has bound itself to her DNA. Lena is left to follow the trail of Ventress to the Lighthouse, where Ventress's cancer mutates and kills her. During this process, Lena's DNA is absorbed by this alien life form and that is the root cause of the shimmer, and it duplicates itself and creates an entirely new Lena. It is a figure that mimics her every move and even has her face, but it's an entirely new species. Lena destroys the figure by placing a flash grenade in its hand, killing the creature and also everything that its DNA has combined with. Since the shimmer is actually a refraction of DNA, anything with the alien DNA is also killed in the process. Lena tells her story to the government officials and scientists, and when she is reunited with Kane, she realizes that it's not really Kane, but a duplicate, just like her own that she destroyed. As they embrace, their eyes shimmer in the light. The shimmer has become a part of them.
0: Thank you so much, Abby, for that wonderful plot summary. You're welcome. Okay, so let's talk about the Bechtel test. Hell yeah, it passes, <laughs> and do you know why? <laughs> Because of all the women in this film who are main characters, who have careers and backstories, you know, because they're humans. (laughs) Yes,
1: that made me so freaking happy. I was like, there's no way this isn't passing our test because like, come on.
0: Right. I was so thrilled. And I was a little worried at first because I thought, well, Lena is going on this mission because of her husband. So maybe something, I don't know, it it possibly could not pass, but it did. Yes. So we'll talk more about like female representation in this film as well later on. So let's talk about Nancy's dream teen test. Let's see if that passes. Um, Was the supporting cast at least 50% women? Yes. Did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? No. Was the final girl or main character a person of color? No. Although Gina Rodriguez and Tessa Thompson and even Oscar Isaac's characters play a large role, it's obvious that Natalie Portman's Lena is the main character. Were there any openly LGBT plus characters in the film? Yes. Rodriguez's character Anya is a lesbian. It was a little difficult for me to put all of my thoughts about this film into the script. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even though we we actually had a little bit more time to work on this script as well due to like internet outage and all this crazy stuff that I was having problems with. Um, Abby, you you had some issues going on too, so we had to take a little break from recording. Ugh. Yeah. So uh, we actually had a little bit more time to work on this. But even though we had more time, it it still seemed like we... I was still struggling to kind of get my thoughts together. Yeah. This is just one of those films, I feel at least, that it's it's so obvious and straightforward in its meaning and metaphors, but only to you individually. Yeah. Like... It sort of reminds me when that viral, like, picture of the blue and black and white and gold dress was going around. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, everyone was so convinced that it was about this thing or these things that it's hard to sort of agree. And even in your plot summary, Abby... Even though, like, it's a very literal pro- plot summary, like, there's some things in there that I'm like, yeah, but it means this, blah, blah, blah. Like, even listening to that, like, the literal plot summary. So- I know.
1: I thought about that when I was writing it, too. I was like, this is how I interpreted it, but I wonder if, like, the plot summary will be different for some people because, yeah, it's just, oh, it's got so many different, like, branches and avenues
0: that you could go down, so... Absolutely. And it's, and then less like, I, ju- I don't think that it, it quite means the same thing for everyone. Yeah. Um, even if you kind of agree on certain things, like there's always like one little thing about this film that I think like we could all be like arguing about, like in a good way. Oh, like yeah. it, I think this is a great film to discuss. Yeah. Um, So, dear listener, be patient with Abby and I as we discuss this truly remarkable film, and please let us know what it means to you, because it might mean something completely different. Alright, so let's get into our discussion. The first thing that I want to talk about is the lighthouse. So, the very heart of the Shimmer stems from a meteor that hits a lighthouse somewhere in Florida, and I couldn't help but look at the significance surrounding it. So, like, obviously, you all know that, you know, what lighthouses do, like, they safely guide ships to land. Um, So the characters in this are sort of like metaphorical ships, almost, and they are using the lighthouse to try and find the reasoning behind the shimmer. Uh, I also couldn't help but think of Virginia Woolf's novel, To the Lighthouse, which was published in 1927. And what's so interesting is that, like, the lighthouse in Wolf's book means something different and personal to each of the characters. And much like how each of the main characters in Annihilation are trying to get to the lighthouse, they are all going for different, deeply personal reasons. As the title suggests in Wolf's novel, the lighthouse is a destination. But if you read the novel, Abby, have you read it? I have not, no. Okay, but if you read the novel, you learn that the characters in the story find that their ultimate desires, a.k.a. their ultimate destinations, seem unattainable. Uh, And I specifically want to mention the character of James from Wolf's novel, who as a child remembers the lighthouse as like this really tall, majestic tower shrouded in beautiful mist. But when he returns as an adult, he is very underwhelmed. And the lighthouse sort of represents like a lack of something in In Wolf's writing, but it could also be like a message to change your perspective on what you see before you or what you feel.
1: I think that's super interesting because like for me, the way that I immediately what popped into my head when they actually like find the lighthouse and they like find the source of everything, it made me feel like the lighthouse was a representative of like a female or like like a uterus, kind of, because it shows, like, the, s- the cells after they've come in contact with the shimmer, and it kind of looks like when it divides, they look like sperm and egg cells. The alien beings that come to Earth kind of, like, penetrate the lighthouse, and they implant there, creating life, which emerges from its confines in a new species. So it's like a mixture of human and alien DNA, and it's a symbol of the very creation of life. When Lena interacts with the alien that she finds in the deep recesses of the cave where Ventress dies in the lighthouse, it mimics her, almost in a state of mitosis and meiosis, which we'll describe later. But that's basically like the beginning stages of how life is created and how cells divide.
0: Interesting, because we're both sort of on the same page, but with different theories on what it could mean, because it's about change. Yes. And, I mean, this whole film is about change, which that will pop up, that theme will pop up in all of our theories, but... Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, that's really interesting. So let's talk about The Shimmer, then. Unlike many other sci-fi films, this one actually takes place on planet Earth. And like, yeah, there's an encounter with an alien life form, but the land that the women are exploring is Earth. In fact, it's just Florida. (laughs) Like, the plants and the animals are very recognizable, but at the same time, they're different. The flowers, which are different species, are growing on the same vine, which is not realistic at all. And the alligators are pale and have like shark teeth. And there's a bear living with like half its skull exposed yeah, <laughs> and it and it screams like a human with it screams with cassa's voice, and on top of all that, the life form mimics Lena's movements and eventually it takes her face. It's her, but it's not her, and yeah. Lena says that the shimmer isn't actually destroying anything, it's just simply making something new. So to me, it seems that the shimmer represents change, obviously. And like the word shimmer as a noun means a soft, slightly wavering light. And what are the synonyms for it? A flicker or a glimmer. And we use the phrase, like, a glimmer of hope or a flicker of who I once was. So this means to me that although this land has changed, there's still something there that's being held onto that's original. And so hold that thought, because I think we'll come back to that in a few.
1: Yes, for sure. Like, this whole thing to me is kind of, like, (laughs) it's so meta, because it's like you're exploring new yet familiar territory so like you as scientists and like as humans we're always learning something new about stuff that we kind of already know so it's oh my god it's yeah, yeah like it's so interesting but you know because this film focuses a lot on like the female perspective in a way I think, like, the shimmer could symbolize a placenta, right? So, like, new life is being created within, and it's absorbing the DNA from its surroundings and creating something new. And it even uses Hox genes, which are basically a blueprint for an embryo, like, to create human figures out of plants. Which, you know, we'll talk about more later in the episode. But when Lena is in the lighthouse... She finds the alien life form. The shimmer transforms into what looks like a cervix located deep within the lighthouse, which like mimics a vagina. And the entire thing looks like a birth canal. And when one emerges from the lighthouse, they're greeted by like daylight and it's. Exactly like the birthing process. Like all of the life that the shimmer created has also died after this process happens. And it's sort of like what happens during like the afterbirth. It just makes me think of the whole like life process
0: from start to finish. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about epigenetics and annihilation. Or how about you talk about epigenetics? Because I have no idea how, what or why it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, so I was watching this movie and I like, I was texting Gracie and I was like, oh my God, I have to talk about epigenetics because it makes me so excited. Like, oh my God, I feel like such a nerd. But um, we talked about epigenetics in previous episodes here and there. Like, we kind of touched very lightly on the subject, but for those of you who may not know or who may not be familiar with what epigenetics is, according to <laughs> what is it's a great website. If you're interested, you should definitely check it out. Epigenetics is the study of heritable changes in gene expression, so active versus inactive genes, that do not involve changes to the underlying DNA sequence. So it's a change in phenotype without a change in genotype, which in turn affects how cells read the genes. So to clarify that, the genotype is the actual DNA set, while the phenotype is the physical expression of that genotype. So if you want to know more about this, you can read about Punnett squares. Google it. It's really fascinating stuff. So in the shimmer, DNA is refracted, and Josie explains this in the film, and she talks about the Hox genes, which we mentioned earlier, which are the blueprint for a fetus, right? And the radio signals are scrambled, which also means that the DNA in question is the same, but it's just mixed up into a new sequence, creating a slightly different version of the DNA, So the environment is literally rearranging the DNA and causing the genes to express themselves in new ways physically. So, in an article published by Sci-Fi, scientist and Dr. Adam Rutherford elaborates on the role epigenetics plays in annihilation. And he says, "...aging, as we currently understand it, seems to be the result of epigenetic changes that impact the behavior of genes." There is research to suggest the potential to reverse those changes that has shown promise in mice and human cells. In addition, the now-famous HeLa cells obtained from Henrietta Lacks are still going strong more than 60 years after they were obtained. Side note that I want to mention here, too. If you don't know who Henrietta Lacks is, please look her up. She is a humongous contributor to like, all of this research, and there's, like, this huge backstory about her. She's very, very important, and she was a Black woman, so her cells were actually kind of stolen, and she didn't receive payment or anything like that, but it's surprising to me how many people don't actually know that story or the history of her, but it's super important, and everyone should know it. So he goes on to say, you know, at the beginning of the film... She's working on a cell which is derived from a cancer cell called HeLa cells, and they're weird because they do not age. They're immortal, and that's why they've been studied so extensively over the last 50 years or so. While the cell line in question was taken from a sample of a particularly aggressive cervical tumor, it suggests the potential for effectively indefinite cell replication. Perhaps aging was just a mistake after all. Discovering a way to alter and manipulate our DNA might just hold the secret to longevity. Change, in Annihilation, is the name of the game. The source of the previous expedition's troubles, as well as the unique biological structures they witnessed, is explained by physicist Josie Radek when she realizes their electronics aren't being blocked by the Shimmer, but are being scrambled. The otherworldly bubble that has settled over Area X behaves not as a shield, but as a prism. It refracts everything within it, including the DNA of anything inside. Simply by stepping inside, the crew members have allowed themselves to be changed. This process has been a death sentence for all who have entered Area X, save for Kane, and as we know from flash forwards, Lena. The Shimmer is interacting with the entities inside it, crafting organisms both beautiful and horrible. While in the context of the film, it's a frightening obstacle. That is the nature of mutation. This is a big deal because in this fictional story, we have very real scientific theories at work that make us question what kind of world we would live in if something took our DNA and basically created something based on the things we expose ourselves to. So to clarify that a little bit more, There's a brief example from whatisepigenetics.com that says, The field of epigenetics is quickly growing, and with it the understanding that both the environment and the individual lifestyle can also directly interact with the genome to influence epigenetic change. These changes may be reflected at various stages throughout a person's life, and even in later generations. For example, human epidemiological studies have provided evidence that prenatal and early postnatal environmental factors influence the adult risk of developing various chronic diseases and behavioral disorders. Studies have shown that children born during the period of Dutch famine from 1944 to 1945 have increased rates of coronary heart disease and obesity after maternal exposure to famine during early pregnancy compared to those not exposed to famine. This same article goes on to say that factors like diet and your environment can lead to epigenetic diseases that appear in later generations. So, like, what does this have to do with the characters in Annihilation, you're probably
0: thinking right now. This is so fascinating.
1: I know. Like,
0: it's a lot to take in.
1: But think about all of the experiences of the women in the film that they carry with them when they go into the Shimmer. Like... All of their anxiety and paranoia and fears about their demons and previous experiences actually become living and breathing organisms in the film. Like Dr. Rutherford stated, it is about how the DNA changes over time and how this is expressed in the generations to follow. We are shaped by our environment, so the shimmer is just a reflection right, of what we hold inside or... They call it a refraction, which obviously is a little bit more science But once it's in our DNA and a part of our human experience, the shimmer just, like, takes hold and magnifies it. And it takes your fear and reconstructs it. It tries to, like, make it beautiful, but it creates something monstrous that wraps itself in a beautiful cocoon. So, like, how they talk about in the film after Cass is killed by the bear creature... And it hunts them down later, and it actually, like, mimics her voice to kind of, like, I don't know if it's, like, a a mechanism to kind of trick them into thinking that, you know, it's safe or whatever. Her, like, pain and her grief and everything is absorbed by the bear during her death, so that would be, like, sort of an epigenetic change. So it's.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So, like we had mentioned before, the DNA isn't really changing. It's just being rearranged and it's creating like a new experience while they're in the shimmer. Just imagine a world, if you will, of all of our experiences and all of our traumas actually coming to life. And I think that's what makes this film so friggin' scary and frightening okay, that's it. That's all I have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. Um, I am not a science-y kind of gal, so I love hearing you talk about it. It's great.
1: Oh, thanks. I'm so glad that I get to nerd out with you and you're like,
0: yeah, great. (laughs) So I kind of want to talk about what I'm more sort of into, which is metaphor and themes with this film. Um, So yeah, I want to talk about like trauma and metaphor and the characters of Annihilation. Mm. So towards the middle of the film, Cass is in a boat with Lena and she gives us some exposition about herself and the other characters exploring the Shimmer. And basically like nobody would go on this dangerous mission unless they are carrying some sort of baggage. So let's talk about that baggage. Lena, who's played by Natalie Portman, according to David Carter, Lena seemingly goes into the shimmer out of love and concern for her husband Kane. But you realize she's really going for reasons tied to her own emotions about their relationship. How could she and the person she once loved change so much as to be unrecognizable to each other? That unresolved question and the grief she's had during her disappearance has manifested itself into a full-blown depression that has her going through the motions of life without gaining any new ground. She's stuck in the mud and forced to rot in place. And, you know, because not only has he gone missing, but the whole reason he even went into the Shimmer in the first place is because he found out that she was cheating on him with her co-worker. She feels like she owes this to him because she is so filled with guilt. And at the end, Lena is the only one who remains. She faces an alien... Being And the alien copies her every movement and traps her in the lighthouse and presses against her and almost suffocating her. Like, you know, that feeling that you get when you're filled with grief and guilt, like you can't breathe. And that's what's happening to her in that moment. And soon she is able to face it. She's able to turn around and face the alien. And she sees that it takes her shape. And David Carter says, quote, she doesn't destroy herself. She destroys her toxic image. And with that, she destroys all toxicity that has plagued Area X the lighthouse and the crash site of the meteor go up in flames. All of the malignant growth burns to the ground and Lena is free to move on. She has chosen the path of cleansing instead of obliteration. It's the path that's the hardest to choose and takes the longest to see the effects of." So this doesn't leave her completely unchanged, though, because facing your guilt and your grief doesn't mean it's going to be gone forever. She holds it, but it no longer defines who she is. In the end, she is able to hug her husband, who has also been changed.
1: Well, you know, Young is quoted as once saying, I am not what happened to me, I am what I choose to become. And I think that really defines Lena well, because she decides to kind of, I guess, take back who she is, but she becomes something different because the Shimmer has taken fragments of her former self and sort of, like, made her better through her time within it.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that, because... We'll talk about it in a minute, because I'm also going to discuss Kane too, at the very end of this. Um, So for now, let's just go to Ventress, who is played by Jennifer Jason Leigh. Dr. Ventress has terminal cancer. So, like, one would think that a mission like this would be desirable to her because it just speeds up the inevitable for her. Uh, However, I don't think that's the case. I think Ventress wants to do something worthwhile before dying. And I don't actually believe Ventress is afraid of the act of dying per se. I think she's afraid of what will happen to her body once the cancer begins to outwardly show its effects. Because it's already changing what she cannot see, very much like how the shimmer is changing the landscape and she is unable to see it until she actually goes in herself. So what will she be like when she's no longer quote-unquote herself, or what she perceives as herself? The Shimmer is like her final frontier, and she does make it to the lighthouse and the end, and she sees the heart of Area X. So once she's there, her body turns on her from the inside out and implodes. Therefore, for me, the Shimmer's effects on Ventress is sort of a metaphor for her cancer. And she has a quote that says, like, the person who, if I don't make it to the lighthouse, the person who started this quest won't be the person who ends it. So she's so afraid of losing the person that she knows now before she actually sees the lighthouse. I love it. (laughs) Yes, I totally
1: agree with that. And... I think also like what she says to Lena in the film that we all kind of self-destruct in some way really gets the point across for Ventress's motivations. Like she isn't committing suicide per se, like rather she is dying in the pursuit of knowledge She is a psychologist, so she studies the mind. Her body is deteriorating, but her mind is still intact, so she knows that although it may cause her bodily harm to find the answer in the Shimmer, her mind will be enlightened. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so this elevation is like her mea culpa. Like, she obtains the knowledge, but she's killed for it. And I can't, like, I'm not speaking as any kind of scientific authority. Like, I'm not a scientist- I'm more of an enthusiast, but I know, like, for me, when I was studying psychology, that was, like, a dream of mine was to, like, (laughs) like, conduct an experiment that, like, changed the world or discover something new, and I think that that's really what drives her is just, like, the discovery of something new. Even if she can't share it with the world, she has it for herself, which is, like, the ultimate, I guess, form of, I wouldn't call it self-love, but learning something for yourself, regardless of what other people think, I think is, like, huge. It's, like, a very big step for a soul to take, like, if you believe in that kind of thing. So, I don't know, I, I loved Ventress's, like, motivations and everything in this film. I think that it was an awesome representation of, like, women in the scientific field.
0: Right. And, you know, she's sort of like turnoffish at first because she speaks like really low and sort of softly and you're just like, you know, like speed it up. Like, come on. Like, but she is so like she's sad and she I don't think thinks that she's going to be able to go into the shimmer until she makes that ultimate decision. Like I'm leading this exposition expedition and all of these women are coming with me and i then you kind of see a more pep in her step like when she's in the shimmer right yeah so it's kind of interesting to see like how she she doesn't change by like a lot but she adjusts her attitude just enough to see that she is she wants to be there and she's happy that she's there in the shimmer so yeah exactly it's it's very slight but it's noticeable in my opinion um Yeah, so let's talk about Anya, who's played by Gina Rodriguez. Cass tells Lena that Anya is sober, which means that she's an addict of some sort. Um, Even before we learn this, we see her drinking a root beer while the other women indulge in their own bottles of alcoholic beer. And Anya is at a constant struggle with her inner demons. Like, she's desperately trying to keep them at bay. Um, When we meet her and she's talking to Lena, she's, like, flirting with her. She's very talkative. Uh, She seems, like, very brave and very, like, in control of herself, but it's an act, actually. Yeah. She is really, really struggling deep inside, and in a sense, she is her own worst enemy. She cannot trust herself, so she begins to distrust everyone else around her. And ultimately, her undoing is her own because she has alienated, aka tied to a chair, everyone around her who can help her. Therefore, the Shimmer's effect on Anya is a metaphor for her addiction. She has literally disabled
1: the only people that can help her, which... You know, that's a very real thing for those who are not only suffering with addiction, but recovering from it. Like, this action is almost like a relapse, and unfortunately, she meets her end at the hands of the creature that, um, the bear creature that imitates Cass's cries for help. Like, and she's an EMT, and she feels like she can help everyone except herself and that's how she falls into this trap it's so
0: tragic man it is very tragic so let's now talk about josie who's played by tessa thompson josie is suicidal and she cuts herself so to feel anything other than the gaping nothing that she feels on a regular basis like that's what she does and we don't know why she has like this empty void of feeling Josie, as she explains to Lena, doesn't want to confront the Shimmer like Ventress, who wants to confront her end or fight it like Lena, who doesn't want to feel grief and guilt. Josie wants neither of those things. She accepts that there are some things that she'll never understand, see, hear, and things that she will never fix. Josie just becomes one with the shimmer and the flower people. The shimmer is a metaphor for her acceptance of the unknown. I find it so fitting,
1: especially, like, hearing this profile of Josie, that the careers chosen by these women really reflect their personalities. Like, Josie is a physicist, and while physics are complicated, like, they are what they are. Like, physics are law kind of and they sort of feel like a neutral science like you study how matter and energy interact and then you observe and that's exactly what josie is like she's an observer she's not really a fighter or someone who rolls over and dies she just surrenders to the world around
0: her yeah i didn't even think of that that's so true so there's two more characters I'd like to talk about. So let's discuss Cass next, who's played by Tuva Novotny. Cass has lost her daughter to cancer, to leukemia in, you know, particular. And says that the event is like two bereavements, the loss of her daughter and the person she once was. So going back to this whole idea of the shimmer being a a flicker, she's a shimmer of who she once was. Ultimately, Cass is attacked and dragged away by a vicious bear creature. Her undoing, much like her daughter's sickness and passing, is completely and utterly random. Nothing could have been done to prevent her daughter's death, and nothing could have prevented her from being whisked away by the bear creature. When the creature returns, it screams, help me, in Cass's voice. So she calls for help for someone to save her, but her fate has been sealed, and there's really no going back. The shimmer, in my opinion, is Cass's bad luck and grief. It's like she just,
1: she keeps dying, but she is undying. Like, Cass's death is a really good example of the epigenetics we talked about earlier. Like, her grief and gruesome death, her literal fear, is absorbed by the creature and expressed in its DNA. And that's how it mimics her cries. But, like, her legacy is one of grief. And it's so sad that, like, that's the last fragment of her that exists is her cries for help. It's almost like I don't want to like speculate too much but like maybe it's because she didn't ask for help in real life and that's like that everlasting feeling that just remains that's her legacy.
0: Yes, I was actually going to like that's that is that per- use the perfect word her legacy. So even after death like that that grief lives on and other people have to witness it because that's all that has defined her and she's passed before anything else can define her. Ugh, wow, so sad. Yeah. <laughs> so the last person I'd like to talk about is Kane who's played by Oscar Isaac. So we find out that Kane volunteers to go into the shimmer because he discovers that his wife Lena is cheating on him. And what I love about this film is that it doesn't outright say it at all. We never see a scene where Kane like sees Lena and her coworker having sex. Like we see flashbacks of Lena remembering those things, but we never see Kane ever. We Have one scene where Lena tells her coworker that um, she's like, he knows that we're having sex. And like, he is like really distraught and like leaves a day early for the mission. Uh, There's a scene where she is seeing him after he returns from the shimmer in the hospital. And she says, I know why you left. That's it. We, we only have those three tiny moments. It's never spelled out like in your face that he knows, but he does. And he knows that she doesn't like it when he leaves. So he feels that by doing something honorable and just like 100% deadly, she will be happier without him. Of course, we realize that this isn't the case. Kane returns from the mission, but he is not the same. He is still Kane, but he's a different version of himself. David Carter says of Kane, quote, some of old Kane's final words, my skin moves like liquid, my mind is cut loose, are about how things are changing so fast he can't go on. The old Mm. Kane hits his bottom, so but New Kane watched, learned, and set out into the world to give it another shot, unquote. And this to me is reminiscent of when soldiers leave and then return from war zones. They are changed completely because of everything they have seen. And when Cain returns, it's almost as if he cannot cope in the same atmosphere as everyone else. He begins to spit blood and his organs fail him. And much like soldiers at war, he has a hard time adjusting back to quote unquote normal life again. And no one understands him. It's not until Lena goes through Helen back again that she knows how to deal with his PTSD, his metaphorical PTSD, that is, and his very different outlook. Lena is still Lena, but she too is another form of herself. I think that
1: this is really interesting, like, in the context of their entire relationship because I feel almost like they're really good for each other but they are like they're like ships passing in the night you know what I mean like they're going through the same thing but at different points on a timeline it's like when people say like oh we would have been perfect but our timing was off it's so strange and like they exist in one space together so it's, it's like they are two cells in a body. Like, they are performing the same functions and stuff like that. They're just a little bit different from each other. And those slight differences ultimately, like, lead to their downfall. But they end up bringing them back together in the end. It's insane. I know. It is insane. Good lord.
0: Let's quickly talk about Crosby, Still, and Nash's song, Helplessly Hoping, which it plays a huge part in this film. <laughs>
1: Yes, and it's so good! I kind of want to talk about the process of mitosis and meiosis here, because the entire film is based around cell division, and this song actually sounds like a basic description of the scientific process, so it's kind of funny. According to Genetics Home Reference, there are two types of cell division, mitosis and meiosis. Meiosis is the type of cell division that creates egg and sperm cells. Mitosis is a fundamental process for life, and during mitosis, a cell duplicates all of its contents, including its chromosomes, and splits to form two identical daughter cells. Because this process is so critical, the steps of mitosis are carefully controlled by a number of genes. When mitosis is not regulated correctly, health health problems, such as cancer, can result. The other type of cell division... Meiosis ensures that humans have the same number of chromosomes in each generation. It is a two-step process that reduces the chromosome number by half from 46 to 23 to form sperm and egg cells. When the sperm and egg cells unite at conception, each contributes 23 chromosomes, so the resulting embryo will have the usual 46. Meiosis also allows genetic variation through a process of DNA shuffling while the cells are dividing. So, they are one person, they are two alone, they are three together, they are for each other. This lyric especially stands out to me if we're talking about this process, not only in the creation of these alien life forms, but the relationship between Lena and Kane, which we just talked about when we discussed like Kane and what he goes through in the shimmer. So, that song, I was like, I just felt like it was fate that this song should be included in the film because
0: it definitely was intended because you can't it's so like that it's there's a huge hint of what is to come with this song and um, it's so great.
1: (laughs) Yeah like you're literally you're splitting apart right and then you're coming back together and you're forming something completely new but with the same DNA. And like, woo, I have goosebumps.
0: It's so good. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about women and feminism in Annihilation. So according to Josh Spiegel in his article, What Makes Annihilation a Different Type of Female-Driven Movie, Annihilation, outside of that line of dialogue from Portman's Lena, rarely makes an empathic note of reminding its audience that the main characters are mostly women. There are a few moments among the women on this mission that are meant to suggest the impact of men in their lives. What's more, the female characters in Annihilation all seem fairly driven and active. Their choices are their own, not made because of the men in or out of their lives. Even in the flashbacks of Lena's life before entering the Shimmer, we see her taking more action than being passively led by either her husband or her colleague from john hopkins university with whom she indulges in a brief affair in fact she leads that affair both in its beginning and in its swift conclusion and honestly i have to applaud the fact that these women aren't perfect nor are most of them even likable yes same because um lena is she cheats And Ventress is a slow-talking, like, kind of drowsy kind of person. And it's like, even I was just like, oh, my God. Um, Josie is very meek and quiet. And Anya, arguably, is very, like, brass and, like, outgoing. And to me, it just seems like none of them are perfect. And, you know, quote, unquote, perfect. Which is so... It's disheartening when you see perfect women in films. Yes. Because there there's an expectation that's being put on women to be a certain way when you see that. Mm-hmm. So I love how the majority of them are not very likable. I think that that's realistic. And in being not likable, they are kind of likable. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. Because I I feel like if this was a movie of all men, it would be like... Like, people wouldn't even really blink. And to me... Right, and here we are
0: talking about it, exactly.
1: Well, no, and, like, to me, I could watch this film and, like, not even be phased by it or not even think twice because it's so real. Like, this is how women actually are. Like, this is how affairs happen. This is how women go through grief. Like, this is how women battle cancer. Like, it's... It it doesn't insult the audience. They do it
0: like humans. Like no exactly. different than anybody else who is a human would deal. Like writer-director Alex Garland is quoted as saying, I've watched a lot of sci-fi movies, so I'm aware of sci-fi cliches in, in presentation of men or women. And the director said in the film's press notes, "quote I was just trying to make sure that there were five characters who were appropriate to the themes in the story, and all of them were people in their own right. I was more worried about making sure they were dimensionalized in the respect, in that respect, than anything else, unquote. Yes, yep. And Portman noted working on Annihilation felt unlike many of her other projects, and she said in an interview, it's such a different environment when you're not the girl in the movie. And in press notes, she said it's nice to feel like you're a character reacting to other characters and not a representative of your entire gender. Yes, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and Cassie Cassie Ciprian says in her article, Annihilation shows it's possible to cast all women in a movie without making a big deal out of it. She says, quote, not everything that features women has to have them be about being women. We need to see women just being human, and that's why Annihilation feels so different, unquote. And the women in this film aren't objectified, and their deaths aren't sexualized, which is really refreshing for a horror film. In fact, it reminds me about Alien, where everyone dies the same way. <laughs> Yeah,
1: everyone
0: dies equally. (laughs) Everyone dies equally. Like, nobody dies in the shower in this film. You know, nobody dies while having sex in this film. I love it. (laughs) I love how they're just humans. Like I said, very much like Alien. I love how they're just humans in this. Like, obviously, like you and I, our show is about feminism. and, And, of course, we want to talk about, like, the female experience. Um, But every Mm -hmm. experience is different. Not all women have the same experiences. So to create characters that are women who are also human is huge for feminism, is huge for film. So that's why I wanted to mention those quotes, because I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so final thought. Is annihilation the same as change? Hmm. So according to Ali Kavanis, quote, in the end, isn't that the crux of self-destruction? Isn't it easier to annihilate yourself than it is to change? On a small scale, perhaps it is, when, when the scenario is either or. But when Lena encounters that question, writ large and wholly new and terrifying, the solution is more complicated. To annihilate and change is something else entirely. Not everyone can do it. And David Carter says, Remember, change doesn't guarantee success or enlightenment, just a different set of circumstances to work with. Those circumstances could be advantageous or they can be equally as detrimental. It just depends on how you choose to accept change and evolution. The journey to acceptance can be as terrifying and incomprehensible as staring into the infinite abyss. It can ravage you and make you stop in your tracks and become a rotting lump of flesh with only down as the direction to move in. Unquote. Well, I think
1: that you can definitely kill your old self. And there's a quote that I sometimes see like floating around on the internet and I don't really know if it has a true source or if it's just like an idea but in a nutshell it says if you want to commit suicide kill your old self and start over again and I think that really says a lot because sometimes you have to do that in order to live on and you can still have like the fragments of who you used to be, and you can be frightened and intimidated by the process of evolving, because the entire theme of this movie is, like, change and evolution while still keeping your humanity intact. Like, it's rough, but I think it's a huge part of the human experience. And... In order for life to continue, we have to move beyond our fears and paranoia. Like, we have to shape those experiences into something valuable instead of pure destruction. So I don't think really they're the same. They are just steps in a process like mitosis and meiosis. Like, you, you pull apart and then you come back together and you
0: are a new person. I know that this isn't completely true. I think it's been disproven. Um, or it's like only half a fact, but like there's, there's people say like you're a different person every 10 years because your skin sheds all the cells and your skin and you create new cells or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Something hopeful for people, you know, like every few years you're a different person anyway. So, but there's something about changing, um, something inside of you, you know? and like your, your, your spirit. Yeah, I don't know. It's a really complicated theory. <laughs> and I think you're right. It's not necessarily the same thing, but they kind of work together in order to create something new yes so. yeah for sure wow okay well you guys thank you for listening that was this week's episode of good morning nancy don't forget to check out our merch shop we've got coffee mugs and sweatshirts and t-shirts and more over there so head on over to goodmorningnancy.com merch and click the shirt icon and you'll be taken to our shop and if you're not already a patron go to patreon.com goodmorningnancy for some sweet extra content in your coffee
1: yeah, you can also help support the show by following us on social media. Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. You can also help us out by telling a friend and spreading the word about our show. We love you all too death. Have a good morning. Bye!